Hey everyone, welcome back to Teen Apologetics. Super pumped to join us today. So I have Dr. Justin McBriar. Um, he's a philosopher. He teaches at Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado. Um, we're talking about the problem of evil and looking at all, all kinds of interesting and exciting questions. So Justin, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? It's my pleasure to be with you. I'm doing just fine. Good, good. So today we're talking about the problem of evil um, and your work and things like that. So to get things started, do you want to talk a little bit about like who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, I'm a professor in a, a relatively small liberal arts college, and I do work in philosophy of religion and ethics. And actually, most recently, I've been doing a lot of work in fake news. You know, what is fake news? How does it get spread? How can we as, as individuals and as believers do better when it comes to fake news? So that's the kind of thing that I've been working on um, most recently. But early in my career, most of my work was on the problem of evil, which is really a family of problems that crops up when you think about the existence of a perfectly good being like God, and then the existence of, of terrible things here on earth. And, and there are a number of questions about how those things can be reconciled, and I'm excited to chat with you about them today. Yeah, exactly. I'm excited. Um, so one of the things that got me, that put you on my radar was like, you're one of the editors of the Blackwell Companions of the Problem of Evil. So a very expansive book. We look at like arguments like for atheism from evil, but also like theodicies. And all kinds of interesting stuff. So like talk a little bit about Justin about like what got you interested in that topic and that project. Yeah, so people talk about the problem of evil and in some ways that's a misnomer because there isn't a single problem. People say the problem of evil, but there's no one thing there. There's a whole cluster of different things there. And so I was interested in teasing apart the different kind of problems that you might find in philosophy of religion or philosophical theology and the different kinds of solutions that people offer to them. And in particular, one of the things that came up in the Blackwell Companion that was so interesting from my perspective was the way that different faith traditions handle problems from evil. So, you know, what a Christian might say about the problem of evil uh, might differ from what um, an Orthodox Jew might say about the problem of evil, which might differ from what a Muslim practitioner might say about the problem of evil. So I thought that was really interesting. It's just, it's rewarding to try to see how all of these different problems manifest in different religious contexts, and then what different resources religions have for addressing those kinds of problems. Mm, that's super interesting. Um, thinking about like, obviously I'm a Christian and you know, you come up from like a Christian background and you know, you, there's specific approaches that you kind of get from responding to the problem of evil. Um, and it's interesting to think about how, like, someone that, like that's a Muslim, like we're both theists, uh, but we have like different views regarding like God and religion and things like that. It, it, it's interesting to me how that might impact their views of like um, how they explain like why is there evil and suffering in the world. So that's super insightful. Um, so, what? Yeah. yeah so like, if I could just follow up briefly on that, Zach. Mm -hmm. I mean, not only is it true that different religions have different resources for responding to problems of evil, but of course. Some religions don't even face a problem of evil. Um, you know, you have to be a particularly pure kind of theist for a, a problem of evil to get generated. You know, in particular, you need what you might think of as like the holy trinity of God's attributes. You need a being that's perfectly good, a being that's perfectly powerful, and a being that's perfectly knowledgeable. You know, if you don't have those things, then it's really hard to even get an argument from evil or a problem of evil off the ground. And so it's not just that different religions have different resources for responding to arguments from evil. You know, some religions don't even need to deal with problems of evil because 
of the way that they think about the divine or they think about the natural world. Mm. Yeah, that's super insightful. So thanks for that. So I'm curious, Justin, like working on the project, like the Black World Companion to the Problem of Evil, um, how are your views impacted like throughout your work of working through this like massive project? One of the most interesting things for me was to think about how tweaking various commitments of my own Christian faith might make problems of evil better or worse. And again, I think one of the things that that brought this into such stark relief for me was to try to put myself in other theistic shoes and think about the problem of evil from that direction. So, for example, um, some of the work in that book dealt with problems of evil that arise for people in an Indian context. You know, if you are a particularly, if you are a Hindu of a particular theistic strand where you recognize that there was one kind of Brahmin who is in charge of the universe and, you know, something very akin to the being that we would describe as God in the Christian religion, you know, what do you say about the problem of evil? And it was so interesting to think about um, responses that rely on doctrines like karma. Look, once you posit a law like karma, you have different resources for explaining why bad things happen in the world. They could be happening as rep- retribution for something that happened in an earlier reincarnation. They could be happening to try to further your, um, your process through reincarnation towards nirvana. And so that was really interesting to think about how different doctrines that I've just sort of absorbed as part of my Christian faith generate problems of evil and how tweaking some of those might make problems of evil better or worse. Mm. Yeah, that's super interesting. And I want to emphasize like the importance of like stepping in other shoes. Like, and I think that's helpful in thinking about evil. Like that's one of the goals of like doing this whole podcast thing is I want to get people thinking like um, how different people are thinking about evil. Like William Hasker um, is an open theist is thinking about the problem of evil very differently than like um, I have my friend Tyler Valon, who's like a Calvinist thinking about the problem of evil. And I think that it's like a sign of like intellectual like maturity. Like when you can step into someone's shoes and say, oh, like maybe I don't agree with them, but I can see where they're coming from. Like I had this um, moment talking with my Calvinist friend the other day and I was like, okay, so I see how he's answering the problem of evil. Do I think it's a good response? Uh, I don't know about that, but I can see like how he like, it's not like totally rational to be in the shoes and like believe what he believes. Um, so I think it's something super good. And I'm sure like you talked about through your project, you were able to really see a bunch of different people, how they saw the world and how like they're different religious commitments are going to impact um, how they think about evil. So, yeah, that's right. So, and I think if you're thinking about those different responses, I mean, A, you want to figure out what all your possible options are and B, you want to try to figure out which option makes the most sense given your other philosophical commitments, you know, given your other um, Christian commitments. And th- those responses fall broadly, Zach, into three main piles. One pile you might think of as sort of giving up on traditional theism. So this is where someone says, okay, look, I don't think we can deal with the problem of evil unless we assume that God isn't perfectly powerful, for example. And there are mm-hmm. thinkers who have take, who prefer to take that way out. One prominent thinker in the Jewish tradition is a guy by the name of uh, Rabbi Kushner. And he defends this view that, that the, the right way to think about the problem of evil is to recognize that God really does want the best for us, but God is somehow limited in power when it comes to bringing about good things. So that's one cluster of responses, the kind of giving up on, on theism. The other two mm-hmm. families of responses fall into two, two buckets. 
Well, one bucket is just typically called a theodicy, where theodicy is this word that means an attempt to try to explain what God is doing with evil in the world. And then the third bucket is some kind of skeptical bucket. Sometimes people call it skeptical theism, but it's a family of skeptical replies. And both of those last two buckets maintain that God exists in the traditional sense of being perfectly good and perfectly knowledgeable and perfectly powerful. And yet they both try to handle evil in different ways. Theodicists try to explain evil. The skeptical bucket of responses grant that we can't explain the evil. And yet they don't think that that's a problem after all. So it's, it's interesting to see, you know, different, different religious perspectives put their chips down, if you will, on some of those different strategies. And then of course, you know, there are Christians who put, you know, some think the theodicy is the right move. Some think we ought to be skeptical. So even Christians disagree about how best to reply to arguments from evil. Mm, yeah, that's super helpful. I like how you broke it down. It's like one option is you can kind of just like deny the problem of evil and maybe say like, maybe God isn't all powerful or isn't all good or something like that. Um, another option is like making the project of like theodicy. And then another option is just like to be a skeptical theist. So right. what I'd, I think be helpful is let's talk about like the theodicy, that second bucket. Um, so like, what are some, in like your mind, what are some of the theodicies, if there are any, that you think might be able to help explain the existence of like why there is evil and suffering in the world? Good. Yeah. So there are lots of these you know, on, mm -hmm. on some way, some ways of counting there, probably a couple dozen different theodicies or explanations for why, um, you know, why God would allow evil in the world. Let me just name a, a few of them, just so you can get some sense, a kind of flavor profile, if you will, of these different moves that people make. So I'll give you four, Zach, just so you have some sense of what these look like. The first one is called a counterpart theodicy. And some people think that any world that contains good things in it also has to contain evil things in it. They think evil and good are counterparts. Here's an example. Mm -hmm. God couldn't create a world that included mountains, but no valleys. That's just metaphysically impossible. Any world that has mm -hmm. a mountain in it has got to have some kind of gap next to it, you know, before the next mountain starts. And that gap is going to be a valley. So you, it's just impossible to create a world with mountains and not valleys. Some people seem to think that goods and evils are paired together like that. And that explains why there's evils in the world. The answer is God wanted to create a world with good things in it, but you don't get evil without good. They're joined at the metaphysical hip, so to speak. And so that's why our world contains evil things in it. God didn't have a choice but to allow the evil things because he wanted the world to include good things. And you can see if that would work, you know, if that's a proper theodicy, that would take some steam out of an argument from evil because it would explain why the world has nasty things in it. So that's one example mm -hmm. of a theodicy. Okay. Um, so do you, you want to ask something about going, that before I tell you about the other thing? No, just, just keep going. Keep going. Okay. Good. Okay. So, Another theodicy that's popular, at least among students, you know, I've taught this, this material for, for years and years, and another theodicy that's popular among students is called the appreciation theodicy. And here the idea is, if the world didn't create bad, if the world didn't include bad things in it, those of us in the world wouldn't be able to tell the difference between good or bad, or maybe we could tell the difference, but we couldn't really appreciate 
the the good you know if we didn't have something to contrast it against so here the idea is you know take some spoiled kid some spoiled kid who's always had his way is daddy's wealthy and buys him everything he wants that kid doesn't really appreciate having you know a good meal or a fast car or whatever because he's never been without it and if god wanted to create a world in which we really recognized and appreciated good things he would also have to include some bad things in the world so that we were able to recognize and appreciate the good ones so again if that story is right uh, you might see how that that could go some way towards explaining why we face certain kinds of evils in the world. But the last two I want to mention are more popular than the first two, and they've been more fully developed by philosophers, uh, you know, over the last couple thousand years. The first is called the free will theodicy. You might have heard of this before, the free will theodicy or free will defense. And basically this says free will is a really good thing. But as soon as God makes beings who have free will, those beings can abuse it. Those beings are free to do nasty things or make really bad choices or whatever. And as a result, free will will inevitably produce evil. And if that's right, then again, you can see how this might explain evils in the world. God wants beings to be free. It's not up to God to create beings who are perfectly free and yet never make bad choices. That's just what it means to be free. It's out of God's hands if we make a bad choice. And so when you read the newspaper and you read about nuclear sabotage or kidnapping or whatever, you can chalk those evils up to free will. Free will explains evils in the world. The last theodicy is called a soul crafting theodicy or a virtue building theodicy. And here the idea is, it's a really good thing for us to build our own characters. It's a good thing for us not to come into the world fully formed and somehow perfect and ready to go. On the other hand, it's good for us to strive towards goals and to develop our virtues. Let me give you a common sense example. Um, you, you learn an awful lot when you go through a sickness. You learn to rely on other people. You learn how to be um, brave in the face of pain. You learn how to manage your expectations. And if you've ever gone through a serious illness, when you come out on the other side, there are certain virtues that you have that you wouldn't have had otherwise. Or think of a scary situation. It's good to develop courage. It's good to be bold and rush out and protect others. And again, all of those virtues require that you be in an environment with some bad things in it. And so the thought is, if God wanted to create a world in which people could be kind, where people could be virtuous, where people could be courageous, God also had to create a world where there were obstacles for us to strive against. And those are the kind of evils then that would be explained by a soul-crafting theodicy. So it, you know, in an umbrella sense, all four of these are different <laughs> explanations for evil. And all four of them are trying to explain why God would allow evil, even if God were perfectly good, perfectly knowledgeable, and perfectly powerful. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, thanks. That's super helpful, Justin. So I like how you said, like, hey, we got four different theodicies on the table here. We got the counterpart, appreciation, free will, and soul building. So in your mind then, Justin, when you're trying to, like, understand, like, why God allows evil, you're not just saying, like, oh, it's the free will defense, boom, that's it everything's done. It's more like you're looking at it as like, hey, if it's a combination of theodicies and they're all like contributing a little bit to like answering the puzzle. 
Yeah, so, I mean, one thing you might think, um, one thing you might, you might think is that you don't have to just pick just one, so to speak. You know, there are some theists who think, okay, the free, free will theodicy, that's it for me. That explains evil. I'm done. I don't have to think about the problem of evil anymore. I'm taking that one, yeah. putting it in my quiver. When somebody brings up evil, I'm just going to whip out free will. You know, theodicy, I'm done with it. There are, people, yeah. there are Christians who do that. But there are other Christians who think, look, maybe there's not just one theodicy that explains everything. I mean, the world's a really complex place. If I asked you what caused people to have heart attacks, there's no way you would just be like, oh, it's French fries. It's French fries and that's it. Mm -hmm. French fries cause heart attack. That's the, I mean, there's a whole host of things that go into causing heart attacks, diet, lack of exercise, stress. And so some theists think that the right move is to appeal to a kind of family of theodicies. You know, maybe the appreciation theodicy explains some evils, free will theodicy explains some evils, soul crafting explains some evils. And there's no reason to just, if you want to think about it this way, plunk for just one of those. And I think if, mm -hmm. If you're interested in, in responding to the argument from evil by invoking a theodicy, that seems to me to be a more reasonable way to go than to put all of your chips into one particular story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's super great. I really like that. So what I'd like to do now, Justin, are there some like maybe like theodicies that like in your mind like don't work in terms of explaining like why God would allow evil? Yeah, sure. Actually, I'll just we'll just start with the first one that I gave you. Um, I mean, ultimately, ultimately, I don't ascribe to any of these theodicies. I prefer the third bucket, the skeptical responses to problems of evil. But let okay. me just give you some sense of of why that is. Yeah. So let's just think about the counterpart theodicy. Counterpart theodicy says it's metaphysically impossible to have uh, good without evil. The two are joined at the hip. They're mountains and valleys. You can't get the one without the other. One problem with that theodicy is that it doesn't make um, it doesn't make very good sense out of the traditional Christian view that God alone is a necessary being and that everything but God depends on God for creation. So this idea that once upon a time there was just God, God was self-sufficient, whatever else there is in the world besides God, that was something that God created. If that's the view you hold, it's very hard to see how the counterpart theodicy could be true because what that would mean is once upon a time there were there was god and god was perfectly good and yet there was no evil to balance god out mm -hmm. so this see this yeah. is weird you either have to accept the counterpart theodicy and reject this idea that god could exist by himself in a perfectly good state of being or you you can accept the counterpart theodicy but on at the cost of having to say something like God is a yin out of a yin and yang. And there's some, per just like there's a perfectly good being, there's a perfectly evil being out there to balance God. And by the way, there have been people who embraced that view over the, over, you know, the, the, the course of human history, the Manichees, that's a, a religious sect from the early, um, early Mediterranean era. And St. Augustine, in fact, was attracted to that line of thinking. He was a Manichaean before he, he became a Christian. And on that view, there really is a perfectly good God and a perfectly evil God. And they're like duking it out. It's like the light side of the force and the dark side of the force or something like that. So that's an example of how I think theodicies commit us to things that, um, 
that you know, that are problematic with some other aspects of our philosophical worldview. So, I, for example, I would not endorse a counterpart theology for just that reason. Mm-hmm. So, what got me interested is I'd love to talk about the last bit of this interview: skeptical theism. So, what leads you, Justin, to endorse like a version of like skeptical theism? Yeah, for my money, I think the theodicies are really interesting, but I don't think they fully explain. Um, even some family of them fully explains the. Is it? I'm um, sorry uh, to interrupt, but would you yeah, say like they don't fully explain, or like like do you think there's like, like partially explain, but there's no full explanation? Yeah, I think that's fine. I think it's true that they partially explain, uh, you know, the mm-hmm. evils that we find on there. So maybe Zach, they they explain some evils, but not others, or maybe they explain okay. some types of evils, but not others, or maybe they can explain why there's some evil, but maybe not the amount of evil mm-hmm. that we experience on earth. So. I'm yeah. willing to grant them some explanatory role, but at the end of the day, I still have questions. I mean, there still seem like there's going to be a significant number of evils that I'm not in a position to explain, even with my theodicies at the ready. And I think mm-hmm. that should bother you, you know, if you were just using a kind of theodicy response to evils. So instead, what I think we should do is I think we should reflect on this question uh, uh, about um about our surprise at evil or our inability to explain them. So in particular, this is the question that that puzzles me. I find myself facing evils that I can't explain. Does the fact that I can't explain them count as evidence against the existence of God or not? I think the answer is no, it does not count as evidence against the existence of God. So I think even if there are evils that I can't explain with a theodicy, that shouldn't lead me to uh, a kind of atheistic conclusion, because I think that's exactly what we would expect. If there really is such a being as God, given how limited my intellectual resources are, I should expect that there are going to be things that I experience that are terrible, that I can't understand, and yet, for all I know, are really part of God's greater purpose. So that's kind of the broad Mm -hmm. reason why I think the skeptical response to the problem of evil is the right one. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that's helpful. And I like, um, cause I don't think it's hard for Christians to say like, Oh, I explained like God allows like every instance of like evil and suffering. So I, I think there's something there. What I wonder is, and I think I kind of know your answer based off what we're going to, where we're going. Um, but I think like some atheists will wonder, or maybe like critics of like skeptical theism from like the Christian perspective. Like I, I like there's parts of skeptical theism that I get, and there's parts that I really struggle with. And one of them is like natural theology. So like we have a lot of like Christians and theists that want to run like these like fine tuning or design arguments, arguments from consciousness. And one of the big pushers is to say that like under atheism, either like it's impossible or it's just very un- unexpected that there would be design or consciousness or, you know, anything along these lines. So someone might say like, hey, Justin, like if you're saying like that it doesn't count against theism for there to be like unexplained evils that we can't explain. Um, why would it, why can't the atheist just say the same thing and say like with fine tuning your design or whatever, like, Hey, we can't explain it, but if the theist can do the, pull that card, then why can't we as well? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, let me say two things. One, mm-hmm. the skeptical bucket, if you will, has a lot of different permutations or a lot of different species of that particular move. Yeah. Some of which that might be narrow enough to avoid the challenge that you're raising right now. And then others are broad enough that they would include it. So a really narrow version might say something like this. Humans are not justified in thinking that the evils we experience in the world are gratuitous. 
full stop, that's it. It's just a claim about evil. And it's just a claim about whether evil serves some greater purpose. So it doesn't invoke a kind of broader skepticism about what God would or wouldn't do. And it's just narrowly tailored to questions about whether evil serves some greater purpose. So, for example, Michael Ray has defended a really narrow version of skeptical theism that looks something like this. If you endorse a more broad version, in some ways, I think David Hume, uh, he was an, probably an agnostic. Um, and, and in some ways, I think David Hume has some echoes of skeptical theism in his work. At one point, he, he writes that the great mistake that humans make when they're reasoning about God is to imagine what they would do if they were in his stead. And I, that, that quote resonates with me. I think that we are often too quick to assume that we know what God would or wouldn't do in a particular scenario. And so I actually do think we ought to be more reluctant to make those kind of judgments, whether they're natural theistic arguments for God or atheistic arguments against God. I think humans ought to be more cognizant uh, you know, of our intellectual limits. And if that's right, then I think that does blunt both sides of that natural theology stick. Mm. So in your view then, like, knowing our limitations like natural theology like maybe it's not dead but it's in a lot of trouble is that kind of how you see it with our limitations yeah i don't know how we would cash out trouble but i do think we should be Mm -hmm. we shouldn't be as enthusiastic about it as at least some christians you know at least some christians they seem to think oh it's just obvious that if god created a world it would have intelligent life in it or it's just obvious that if god were to create a world you know god would do this and i i think those things are not obvious so mm-hmm. I would want us to push for more careful argumentation on those steps and not just make this move that what seems intuitively to us to be the thing that we would do somehow naturally carries over to what God would do if he were in our shoes. Mm-hmm. You might think about That's it. In, you might think about it in terms yeah, of going. you know the, the virtue of epistemic humility. That's that's what I I think Christians could do with a dose of of intellectual humility. And I also think atheists who are pushing arguments from evil they're going beyond their limits too. So I think we all need to be more humble when we're wrestling with, uh, you know, arguments for and against the existence of God. Yeah, that's good. Cause like for me personally, I'm very attracted to a similar, like, um, I mean, I'm not a philosopher of religion, but if I was, I'd be attracted to a project similar to Swinburne, um, where yeah. I think you could like try to explain a lot and you'd like, you would not be like skeptical, theistic friendly. But then at the same time, like, I've always had this, like, side of me that's like, hey, like, Zach, you're very limited. Like, you, like, you can try to figure these things out, but, like, just remember your place in the world and, like, your limited brain and things like this. Like, you can't, like, like, I think Swinburne goes too far. I don't think you can explain everything that Swinburne does. And so for me, like, I'm trying to wrestle with, like, you know, trying to find exactly where I fit because I'm, you know, I'm more on the Swinburne side. But, like, I really do see, like, what you're saying. So that, that's yeah. the trick for me. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a fine place to be to recognize those different strategies and tr- try to figure out which one is more intellectually respectable given all of your other commitments. I mean, just to give you mm-hmm. some sense of why this people in the skeptical bucket, you know, have these kind of skeptical intuitions. Just think of a couple think of a couple analogies um, that might yeah. kind of get you into the skeptical theist mind frame. I mean, imagine mm-hmm. a two year old wondering why her mom is making her get a, a COVID shot. Mm, you know, it's yeah. scary. It hurts. It's, you know, I mean, it, that, that two-year-old's grasp of what's going on and whether that pain was justified is going to be super limited. 
Well, yeah. if you think that if you think the two-year-old isn't licensed in drawing any kind of conclusions about whether her mom really is a good person or whether what well, there was any good thing that came from this, I mean, how much more should you be cautious about the intellectual gap between you and God? I mean, that makes the gap yeah. between a two-year-old and a and a human mother, you know, that it's it's just vastly different than that. Or here's another yeah. example. And this one comes from philosopher Bill Alston. Imagine you didn't know very much about chess and you sit down to watch, um, you know, you're going to watch a grand chess master play, play a match and you see the chess master move a piece. And from your perspective, it makes no sense whatsoever. You know, like the person's going to sacrifice his queen or, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, mm -hmm. I don't understand that move at all. Well, yeah. Should you draw the conclusion that the move really was a stupid one or doesn't have some deeper justification or, you know, isn't going to work out for the longer good of the game? I mean, no way. If you're a chess novice, you ought to be like, look, the gap between me and the chess master is so vast that given what I know, the mere fact that I can't explain what's going on gives me no reason whatsoever to think there isn't really a master plan. And again, if you find yeah. that analogy persuasive, the skeptical theist is wanting you to reason in a similar kind of way about you and God. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's, Ooh, that's really great. I really like what you're saying here, um, Justin. So I feel like we've done a good job here in like these past 30 minutes. We talked about like you and your project and we talked about like the Odysseys and skeptical theism. Anything else you want to talk about before we close up shop here? No, let me just say um, one thing. So it's, it's not about the problem of evil specifically, but it's sort of about this project that you're engaging in with your po podcast more generally. Christians are don't speak on one voice about all of these things. I mean, there are Christians who are, as you pointed out, open theists, those who are not. Um, people who think that the problem of evil should be solved this way rather than that way. To, to my mind, this is part of what St. Paul means when he talks about us working out our salvation with fear and trembling. I mean, it, there, there just aren't always obvious paths um, to solve some of these problems that I think Christian intellectuals face. And so I would just encourage your listeners to keep a, an open mind and try to think about all the different ways of thinking about and solving the problems that arise with your own faith. Mm, that's great. Well, Justin, how can people like follow you, connect with you, things like that? Um, you, you can find me online. I've got a website. I've got a blog. Uh, you can sign up to get blog updates when I write posts. I try to write things for normal people and not just uh, pointy-headed intellectuals like myself. So I write stuff in, in popular um, newspapers and magazines. So if you just go to my website, you can sign up and, and get some updates and follow some of the stuff I've been working on. Mm, well, that's super cool. And okay, I'll put a link to your website down below. Super well designed. I love the design of your website. Um, Great, thanks. Yeah, that's it, everyone. Yeah. And thank you everyone for tuning in. I hope you have a good one. God bless. Um, this is here in Apologetics. If you're new, I always encourage you to subscribe, leave a like, all that fun stuff. And if you value our content, um, consider hopping over and becoming a patron at patreon.com slash here in Apologetics. We're trying to get one new supporter a month. So if you want to be the supporter for September, just go over there. Um, you can do it for as little as a dollar a month and it'd be huge for us. So yeah, that's it. And that's it. God bless. And see you next time.